If you don't want a Bible this morning, we do what we do. We're going to worship God and open His Word together. So if you have a Bible, go on and open up to the book of Philippians, where we will be for the next several months as we make our way there verse by verse uh, through this amazing letter to the church in Philippi. But if you need a Bible, we got plenty of them. Just slip up a hand. We'll get a Bible in your hand so that you can follow along with us. We'll be in Philippians chapter 1 uh, as we continue um, this, uh, this study in this amazing book. Now, as you're finding your way there in Philippians, um, just uh, so many things to, to celebrate that, that God is doing. Uh, as you know, Peter mentioned, obviously, uh, students and kids launching back up. Uh, our groups are getting started this week uh, in the community and here at the church. But uh, Reengage started two Sundays ago, and, and I think there's 20-something couples that are going through that Reengage process to invest in their marriage. As, as a church, our mission statement is pursuing God's heart for the restoration of all things. Pursuing God's heart for the restoration of all things. Now, first and foremost, that is obviously restoring souls back to Jesus in relationship with God, our creator in Christ. But then also we believe that God's heart is to restore physically, emotionally, relationally, to restore families, to restore marriages, to restore uh, dreams and hopes, identity and calling. And so it's just a beautiful thing to, to see God working in the broken and the hurting, uh, the places that were just longing for greater depth and, uh, and growth. And so uh, um, re-engage just being a beautiful place, watching marriages get restored into God's design. So you can be praying for them. Just a great, great group of couples that are going through that together and excited to see what happens as the, the rest of these groups begin to come online in the next few in the next few days. So let's read out of Philippians. If you'll stand with me and we will read this first part and then dig in to see what God might be saying to us today. Starting in verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Amen. God's word, you may be seated. So we're three weeks in and we're only in verse three. Don't worry, we are gonna 
speed up here a little bit. And, and today we're going to really look at that as Paul begins this letter, obviously he begins this letter introducing who he is. And for us to understand the power of this letter, we had to kind of step back into Paul's story, but also the, the birth of this church in Philippi. And that's Acts 16, if, you, uh, if you're new to grace and want to kind of get some of the background. And now 10, 11 years later, Paul is imprisoned in Rome, writing a letter back to this church that he planted from this eclectic group of new uh, followers in Jesus who had all been radically transformed by their encounter with Christ. And now this, this church has, has grown and begun to multiply. It's become known in the region for its generosity, for its service, for its love, for its steadfast faith, even in the midst of persecution and famine and trial. And Paul delights. The news he hears back about what God is doing in and through this church community, I mean, it fills his heart with joy. And yet at the same time, he's, he's beginning to get some reports that, that the pressure of the world around them, the culture that they found themselves in, this pagan world and, and the darkness that can seem so overwhelming, as well as, as the things that were competing for their time and loyalty and attention, were beginning to threaten their unity from within. And so it just feels like, in the, as we enter into the fall of 2023 here in Monroe, Georgia, that Paul's letter to this church that had so much potential, so much passion, but is beginning to be threatened by the pressures of the world around them to split them apart in conflict and division may just, maybe just, might have an applicable word for us in our world today. Amen? And so Paul begins reminding them of who they are in Christ and what God has called them to as saints. This law is his declaration of grace and peace, which in itself, if you think about Paul's life, is just a beautiful statement. For, for this to be the thing that, that Paul is exhorting, that is coming out of Paul for the sake of these people. Because if you think about Paul's story, before he encountered Christ, Paul was known as a man of law. So much so that if you, if you differed on a point of the law, he was willing to, to take you to jail or even to, to oversee the execution of those that he felt like were undermining God's will as revealed in the law, the Torah. That God would be a God of grace. That God would show up in the person of Jesus. That God would allow himself to be crucified to take on the, the, the suffering of the, for the sins of the world. That, that didn't fit in his paradigm. So Paul, a man of law, but also before Paul encountered Jesus, he would have been known as a man of, of violence, of conflict. The one that went from house to house, arresting those who were followers of the way, throwing them into prison trying to crush this fledgling movement under his feet. And then he has this powerful encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and this man of law and violence becomes a man of grace and peace. And what a beautiful word for us. That whatever your background, whatever your story, whatever your mistakes and your failures and your experiences, the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you, that God can take the old 
and turn it into a beautiful new in Jesus Christ. And that God is actually so good. Now hear me this, God is so good that not only can he take the, the, the old and the broken and the bad and the failure and forgive that and set us on a new path, but he can actually take those things and work them together by his grace and his goodness to turn them into something beautiful and powerful. In fact, one of the most amazing gifts that you may have to offer the world come from your most shameful failures. The story that you can tell of what Jesus has done in your life. And so this man of law and violence now begins this letter with this declaration of grace and peace. And then from that, the first thing that Paul does for this church that he loves so much is the most important thing that we can do for one another. He prays for him. He prays for him. I mean, the first part of this letter is just a prayer for these people. As he reveals his heart, that every time he remembers them, every time they come to his mind, every time he thinks about them, his heart is filled with joy, thankful and grateful, and it moves him to pray. So today, as I was thinking about uh, what might God's word for our church be, I realized it's one thing to talk about prayer, to teach about prayer, to learn about prayer. And it's a different thing to just pray. And so just so you know, I want to kind of dive in a little bit and pull out a few things that that we uh, see in Paul's prayer and in this first section of Philippians. But then I want to spend some time together praying. Because it seems like a shame to dive deep into this beautiful passage of prayer sing a song and then head out the door and not actually take time to pray. Amen? So just preparing you where we're going. We're going to uh, be a people who do the things that God models for us, invites us into to do. So I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I think it's beautiful that he, the first thing he desires for this church is prayer or the ways that he prays because it was actually a church that was birthed out of prayer. Do you remember that? In Acts 16, who was the first person that encountered the gospel in Philippi? Do you remember her name? Lydia, yeah. And where did he find Lydia? Actually, I have a picture of it. Where did he find Lydia? Lydia. By the river at a place of prayer. Yeah, I can, pretty obvious. You know, it is the topic for today. But yeah, so there outside of Philippi, Paul is, he knows that God has called him to take the gospel to this city. It's the first church in Europe to get planted, is there in Philippi, uh, what is modern day uh, Greece. And so he is, uh, he, he's going, there's not hardly any Jews in that city. And so it says that he goes to the river where he expects to find a place of prayer. And there he comes across this woman whose heart is open to Paul and open to the gospel. And so the first person to encounter Jesus that we know of in Philippi, Philippi is Lydia, 
who he met in this place of prayer, which I love that that's their backstory. That in this pagan city, God has, has preserved a person of peace who's hungry and open and ready for the gospel in this place of prayer, in this place of expectation. And in the same way, 11 years ago, Grace Monroe was planted in this city and uh, with a handful of people whose hearts were hungry for more of God. And the first thing we did as we began in this old mill on the other side of town to get on our knees and to pray. And we have pictures of just of, of children who are now teenagers on their knees in that place, praying, God, if you're calling us here, will you make it obvious? Will you make a way? Will you bring your people together? And here we are 11 years later. And so when I, it's not without exaggeration that I say, my heart is full of joy when I think about your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you all will carry it out till the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Amen? And we're not that different than this little church in Philippi. Surrounded by the brokenness of the world, but with hearts longing for the things of God to be called back to that place of prayer that centers us and grounds us in the will of God and keeps moving us forward in his direction. And I love that his prayer as he prays. I mean, so often, and just to confess, um, prayer for me has felt more like a chore than a joy in different seasons of my life. Like there are people, actually, I could see some of you here, that prayer, I mean, that, you, that is, it flows out of you. It is just natural to you. Like, you love it. For me, it isn't, it has not come naturally. Prayer is a thing that, that I have to be intentional about, to remember, to create space for. I want to go do. I, I want to be out there. I want to be with people. That idea of like stopping and remembering who's actually in charge, of actually being honest and vulnerable with God and not just running through my day isn't something that even as your pastor, that's awful to admit out loud, and we should probably strike this from the uh, recording later, but I'm just being honest. And so if it's you and you're thinking, you're like, man, I know I should pray more. Or I, I you know, I just never really had that desire to pray. I'll tell you what, what changed it for me. Is, uh, is about 12 years ago, we met this couple, uh, Jamie and Donna. And they were in town. They had been uh, living over in the Middle East and just amazing ministry. And uh, Donna began to disciple my wife, Sadie, and Jamie began to walk with a group of us guys. And as he, was, uh, as he met with us, he would tell these stories of, of listening to God, of hearing from God, of a God who speaks. And, all, and he would lead us in this time of prayer where it wasn't just us telling God what he needed to know, but us listening and waiting for God, what God wanted us to know. And all of a sudden, prayer went from this one-way communication from me to God to this two-way conversation of me with God. And it changed everything for me. 
that all of a sudden the God of this universe is available and present, not just for me to talk at, but for me to receive from. In my insecurity, in my fear, as I began a day not knowing what to do or went into a conversation with somebody not knowing how to handle it or feeling overwhelmed with my children or at, at odds with my wife or whatever it might be, that there's a God who sees me and knows me and loves me and is available to enter into conversation with me by his Holy Spirit and rooted in his word. And his word came alive to me in ways that I could have never imagined before. My prayer is a conversation with a God who is with us and loves us. And it changed everything for me. It changed how I drive from my house to wherever I'm going. It changed how I wake up and get my cup of coffee and walk out on the back porch. It changed my perspective of what it means to pray, to invite you. So I invite you, not just in to a, to a task, a religious task to do with God or for God, but into an intimate conversation with God. And so Paul's heart in prayer, we see, is a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. I even love this phrase, I thank my God, this personal relationship in my remembrance of you full of joy for you. And what is that joy rooted in? Their partnership in the gospel. That word partnership is the word koinonia. It's also the word that we get fellowship from. To be with someone. It comes, uh, the, the root of it is the idea of sharing a meal with somebody. But what is the meal? What are they sharing? What are they sitting around the table uh, enjoying together? The gospel, the good news of God's love and undeserved grace. And he remembers back to those first days with them and he thinks about the work that God has done in their life up to that point. So even now, just pause And think back to when you had first encountered Jesus. Think, what was that first encounter with God? That first time that God, you became aware, was real and present. That first time you heard and recognized that he loves you that first time that you received the forgiveness for your failures and sins. Let your mind think forward from that first time of that encounter with God. Maybe you didn't know him that well. 
they just began this sense that there's something bigger out there than you. That Jesus began to become real in your life. That you see the places that he's been faithful. That he's shown up for you. Provided for you. Met you. And as Paul thinks back to these relationships and God's faithfulness in their life, it fills his heart with gratitude and joy. And that's the posture of his prayer. So even as the invitation is for us to become a people of prayer, to be re-centered and grounded in this communication with a living and active God, the posture of our hearts, the invitation of God for us is, is to enter into joy and gratitude because, because of God's faithfulness and goodness. And then looking back and seeing God's faithfulness in their lives, he's able to say it is with full confidence. The word there is to be fully persuaded of something. It is with full assurance that I know that the one who began a work in you, he'll carry it out to completion, to fulfillment on the day of Jesus Christ. And what is that day of Jesus Christ? You want to write there in your Bible next to that, right? Revelation 21 and 22. This promise that Jesus says in John 14 I'm going away, but I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will come back for you. In fact, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then surely I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. And then Revelation 21 and 22, the, the angel gives John this beautiful picture of what Jesus had promised of the one day that he would return and take his people to be fully with himself that he'd wipe away every tear from their eye where sin and death would be no more. That Jesus returns, that new heaven and new earth where he finally and fully restores all things. And yet now we live in this tension between the now of the kingdom having arrived but the not yet of the kingdom fully expressed. But the invitation in prayer, the invitation and, and uh, this remembrance is this invitation to live now as those who belong to something greater later. To live now with the awareness of heaven. To live now with the awareness of the full restoration of God, with the hope and the expectation of a good and faithful God who will bring his plans and purposes to pass. Church is never meant to be in one hour that we get together and sing some songs and learn a couple cool things. Church was an invitation into a way of life, a community together, learning how to live the reality of the kingdom of God in our world now, today. And so as Paul prays for these uh, this church in Philippi, he prays with this picture of what God has done and this hope for what God is going to continue to do.
And there are some, I think there's some of you here, or maybe this is a word for someone. That there's someone in your life right now that it feels hopeless. That they're too far gone. That all the conversations have been had. That the choices have been made. And I just wonder if God is inviting you back into a place of praying with expectation that no story is ever too far gone for God to not intervene. And so, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. And that language of partakers is like to share a common meal together. But as they are, but the, the partakers of grace isn't just simply that they are enjoying grace for themselves. What he delights in is that they become a people who enjoy grace and then share grace with others. And that they've been faithful, even in his imprisonment, as they've defended and confirmed the gospel in their lives. And then he says that he yearns for this like gut language, like gut level longing to be back with them with the affection of Christ Jesus. And what he's praying and reminding them of isn't just simply the fact that he misses them, that he longs to be connected to them, that he, he can't wait to see them. But he says that, that that affection is the affection of Christ. So what does that mean? that this is how Jesus feels about you. Can you receive that? That the God of this universe and Jesus Christ longs for you, yearns for you, wants to be with you. He's not a reluctant father that you've got to convince to spend time with you. He's the prodigal father that stands watching the horizon for the first peak of his son to return. That's the heart of God for you. This longing of your father to wrap his arms around you, to be with you. And Paul feels that same longing for them. And so we read that from two sides. One, to receive that for ourselves, that the God of this universe longs for you, yearns for you, seeks after and pursues you but also it's the invitation that we become those kind of people in prayers for others, Can, that we feel the heart of God for the people around us, especially those who have wandered and gotten lost and forgotten who God is and forgotten who they are. Can we allow ourselves to enter into the passion of God for the people around us? Which to be honest at times can be heartbreaking because we can feel the weight of God's love for people that have no desire for God, that have turned their back on him, rejected him. And yet we continue to enter in to that compassionate, humble, active love of God for those around us. And 
And then we get into Paul's prayer. And what does he pray? First and foremost, that their love would abound, would flourish, would flow up out of them. And how would their love grow into this flourishing, overflowing, abundant love? Through knowledge and discernment. In other words, the better we know God, the more we will love God. And the more we love God, the more we will love like God. And so the greatest invitation for us is to become a people who know God, who know his character and his attributes, who know his love and his grace and his mercy, who know his faithfulness and his gentleness and his kindness, who know his power and his miraculous nature, who know God, not just in our head, but experientially with our lives. And as we know God, as we encounter God in greater and greater level, the natural thing is that we'll love him. Because he is the, the, the greatest thing that has ever been, that we could, our minds could even begin to fathom. And as we love God, the way we love the rest of God's people would flow naturally out of us. And so, knowing God and their love growing in their knowledge of God, they would be able to approve or test and make and, and experience what is excellent, what is highest and best. And as his prayer is that they, as they know God better and so therefore love God more and they're able to, to test and experience the highest way that they would be pure and blameless without fault or blemish for the day that Jesus returns and their lives would be full of fruit, the fruit of rightness with God that comes through Jesus and that ultimately his prayer for them is that their lives, their fruitful lives with Jesus would bring glory and praise to God. At the end of the day, the end of his prayer is that it's not about them. It's about God and what God, and that God gets glorified in our lives. So as I said, it's one thing to talk about prayer. It's another thing to pray. And so I just want to kind of lead us through just a simple prayer for somebody in your life, whoever that might be. And so even right now, just I invite you just to close your eyes and let God bring somebody into your mind, the remembrance of someone and maybe a group of people. For Paul, it was the Philippians. For you, maybe some college buddies and maybe your kids, a parent, a neighbor, a coworker. So just fix your mind. Let God bring a remembrance of someone or a group of people that you know and love to mind. Um, okay, so once you have that person, look back up at me.
There's a couple of things to remember as we go into this prayer. So we said that, that Paul's heart is that, that the fullness of Christ, that the fruitfulness of Christ would flow up out of their lives and, and being confident that God will carry out his work in them till the day of, Christ, of completion. And we're gonna pray that for whoever's coming to mind. But there's a couple of things to remember about prayer as we enter into this, this time of praying. And number one is this, that prayer isn't manipulation. Prayer is partnering with God for his work in someone's life. Second is this, that prayer isn't obligation. That God has blessed every one of us as humans with the ability to choose. And we can't make anyone else's choices for them. And so we can pray with the heart of God. We can pray for the work of God. And in prayer, somehow we're invited to partner with God in his work. But it doesn't obligate anyone to anything. And it can't manipulate anyone into anything. And the third is this, yes, that prayer is a manipulation. Prayer is an obligation, but prayer isn't instantaneous. But even as we pray, think about the, the prayer of Paul here, that Paul has the long game in mind. I mean, the thing he's thinking about is the day that Jesus returns and that God's faithful work will continue all the way up to that day. And so, yes, we can see miraculous things happen in a moment. But most of the time, what we see is that those miraculous moments were years of God bringing something uh, to pass. So even as we pray for whoever's coming to mind, it's to remember that it's not a magic formula that instantaneously uh, obligates God to move or manipulates a person to respond. And yet our hope is God miraculously move and made this person respond. Amen? Just parameters around prayer. All right. So I'm going to put uh, some words on the screen as we kind of move through. But I'm going to just invite you, again, just fix that person or that group of people in your mind, your kids, a coworker, a group of friends, your grace group, whoever that might be. And just simple prayer. I thank you, God, for, and this is between you and God and your heart. I thank you, God, for this person or this group. And just spend a minute with God, just telling God what you're thankful for about that person or about those people. What brings you joy when you think about them? And if you can, let your heart long for them. As if you could just wrap your arms around them right now. And then pray something like this Thank you, God, for the work you're doing in this person's life. Being confident of this, that God, you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus' return. And now if you're willing, just ask God to give you a picture of what that person or that group of people would look like fully alive in the kingdom.
God's love. Walking with confidence in their identity. Forgiven and set free. Healed and made whole. Fully aware of God's love for them. pray that this person or these people's love would grow and grow as they know you more and more. Picture them growing in their knowledge of God, their awareness of God. See their heart expanding in love. pray that as this person knows you better and loves you more they'd be able to discern and determine what is highest and best that they would experience the most excellent way with you God and that they would be found without blemish or fault on the day that Jesus returns I think I would give them eyes for what is excellent. That God would turn their eyes away from lesser things. See them choosing the best way forward in life with Jesus. pray that this person would live a fruitful life of depth and impact as they abide in Jesus. And that this person's life, choices, and relationships would ultimately bring you, God, glory and praise. if you're willing, just ask Jesus. Jesus, is there anything that you would have me to do to help bring about your plans and your purposes for this person or these people? Lord, is there anything you're inviting, asking me to do for them? turn our hearts in prayer to you. Lord, we recognize that Jesus, you are alive and present with us and you are alive and present with every person that was thought about and named in this room. 
And Lord, that you know them better than they even know themselves. And that you're with them. And that you are faithful and you are good. And so, Lord, I pray that for our church, we would be a people of prayer. That you would cultivate in us and in this place an atmosphere for fruitful, abiding lives in you, Jesus. And that it would flow up out of here to the ends of this earth. So Lord, even now, as we continue to worship and as we recenter our hearts around your presence and your forgiveness through the sacrament of communion, will you continue to work in us and through us that you would be glorified and praised in the name of Jesus.